0: Psalm 23. One of the reasons that uh, a Bible passage makes it to be the best known and used Bible passage is because it is of great benefit to people, and I trust will be to us tonight. The Lord is my shepherd, or literally, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. That's what it means. He makes me lie down in green pastures Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would speak to us from the words of this marvelous psalm, this song, this poem, this testimony of what it means to be a Christian. We pray that we would see all over this psalm the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. We pray that we would find comfort and confidence for our souls as he shepherds us through life. We pray that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, if you open up the service sheet, you'll see Six headings and a summary, which makes seven, which is the perfect number. Or two times three plus one. And I think the best way to deal with the psalm is just to take it as it is and build up a picture of what the psalmist does. Just to begin, though, before we look at each of these points in turn, I wonder if you have ever seen this kind of picture, perhaps uh, on a wall of a house or poster. Or a framed picture in the foreground, there is a shimmering blue lake. On one side of the lake, there are pine trees, the sun glinting through the trees. On the other side of the lake, a lush alpine meadow, the shepherd leaning on his crook, surrounded by contented, clean sheep with some newborn lambs frisking around. And to complete the idyllic scene, there are snow-capped mountains far back in the distance, piercing a blight blue sky, Picture postcard seen in the Bible text that overlays the picture on the top right-hand corner. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And I guess we could argue that the picture postcard is not inappropriate for these verses. What about verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is a very different picture. The dark valleys of life, the depths, the struggles, and the darkest valley of all, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, my point is that these pictures, these picture postcard scenes with Bible texts, are not wrong. But they do rob the psalm of its power because these pictures, these postcard pictures, are pictures not of real life. And this psalm and the Bible, every part of it, is about real life. One of the great truths we have seen as we've studied Romans 8 is that the Bible speaks right into the coalface of real life. In fact, I would say that the Bible is the most realistic description of real life that there is. This psalm is about real life, your life and mine. It is also a very personal psalm. The writer of the psalm, King David, uses the words I, me, or my 17 times. It is a personal testimony of this one man's and ours, if we are Christians, relationship with God. Now, the first point you'll see on the sheet, if the Lord Jesus is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That means, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. That's what it literally means. I have everything that I need. And you'll notice from the sheet and what I've said that I refer to the Lord in the psalm as the Lord Jesus. And that is because the Lord Jesus says, this Sam is referring to him. He said, for example, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he says elsewhere, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. When I was a young child, we lived in the country close to my grandparents who lived in a farm. This story is going to sound a little made up. My parents are here tonight, so ask them. I must have been about four, I think. Certainly before school age, three mornings a week I'd go to nursery and two mornings a week to the farm to pester my grandparents. And I remember as a child plotting and scheming and saying one or two half truths so that I could spend less time in the nursery and more time in the farm. My grandfather had retired and he would spend time with me pottering around in the farm and all that kind of stuff. It was uh, happy memories. And he would take me out sometimes with a shepherd whose name was Rab. Now, we're getting into the realm of hypothetical make-believe. I promise you this is true. And as a young child, one of the things I remember about Rab, and he was quite kind of a frightening fellow. hes quite a large and gruff man. One of the things that I remember as a young child is he knew the sheep. And they knew him. There's a pragmatism about sheep. They know when they're going to be fed. But he knew them. Could tell them apart. And uh, to me, as a city boy, through and through, sheep are sheep and sheep are sheep. But a good shepherd knows their sheep individually. And I think they do know their sheep. I know when one is ill or struggling or whatever. And uh, that is exactly the metaphor in this psalm. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep. And, of course, the other side of Jesus' phrase, they know me. Isn't that striking? So, it's a very personal psalm about real life and a real relationship the Christian has in real life with a real Jesus, who is the shepherd. Verse 2, really verse 1 into verse 2, Jesus provides all That I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, the key phrase if Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It doesn't mean that if I'm a Christian, if Jesus is my shepherd, I will have everything I want in the sense of my desires and wishes. What it means is that if Jesus is my shepherd, then I lack nothing. I have all that I need. Now, let me try to be precise here and not vague. What is it exactly that Jesus gives us that means we have everything we need? If he says, I am your good shepherd, and if he is my shepherd, I lack nothing, what is is it that I have that means I have everything I need? Well, the answer to that question is this, I think. It is his righteousness. That is what it means to have all that I need. Let me explain. A shepherd leads their sheep to green pastures that they might feed, that their hunger might be satisfied. Likewise, a shepherd leads their sheep to quiet waters that they might drink, that their thirst might be quenched. Jesus alone satisfies our spiritual hunger. Listen to his own words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness means having a relationship with God. It's what we need more than anything else as human beings, a restored relationship with our Creator God. How then can we find that righteousness? In Jesus and in no one else, who said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And that is an invitation from Jesus to put our faith and trust in Him that we might lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to lie down in green pastures and to quiet waters. He gives me the food and the drink that I need most of all in life, and that means righteousness. In Him, there is satisfaction of our deepest hunger. Our hunger in the human soul for righteousness, for a relationship with God. But that, of course, does not mean that Jesus is indifferent to our physical needs. Verse uh, 2 means principally righteousness, but it also means the practical day to day needs of life. That is why within a church community, resources are to be shared so that no one will lack what they need. It is why, as Andy has prayed, both this morning and tonight, that as a church community, we have a responsibility to the wider community outside the church to share the resources we have. And nor is Jesus here calling us to a life of asceticism or piety, denying us the pleasures of enjoying good things and material possessions. That is not the Christian life. Christian life if I can put it this way, is not about not having these things. It is about coming to realize that if we didn't have these things and we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. Now, of course, without Jesus and his righteousness, we might have everything we want, which are not in themselves bad things. Security, family, friends, health, possessions. But if we do not have Jesus, then we do not have everything we need. That's why this psalm is such a an often used psalm at funerals. I think probably for the bit at the end, verse 4, and the bit that comes in verse 5 about the bit beyond the funeral. But isn't this relevant for a funeral, this bit here? What do you take from this world? Only Jesus. Now let's move on to the next dimension of Jesus' shepherd care for us. If he's a shepherd, we lack nothing. He provides all that I need, principally the righteousness that I need to stand before God. That's the bread. That's the food. That's the drink that fundamentally I need most of all as a human being and the practical stuff too. And then verse 3a, he restores my soul. These are great words, aren't they? He restores my soul. That feeling when you're running on physical empty, you look physically drained, you feel physically drained is one thing. What he's getting at here is spiritually drained. Spiritually running on empty, such that we need refreshment and vitality and spiritual life. He restores my soul. It's a great old hymn. Here's the words of it Oh, for a closer walk with God. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? You know, when you go to sleep at night and you're just exhausted you wake up and you feel refreshed. The older you get, the less often that is. I.e. waking up feeling refreshed. And in some ways, this is what the psalm is talking about here. The shepherd that is the Lord Jesus for us, in times when we need that soul refreshing, restores our soul. He lifts up our soul. Oftentimes, for me, it is when you gather with other Christians and study God's Word and sing. Behold our God, seated on His throne. How great is our God! He restores our soul. How day-to-day does He restore our soul? Well, coming to church, singing, listening to God's Word. Sometimes when we're walking in God's creation. When we were in London, we would spend most of our Saturdays in Wisley. It's a product of the age of your children, what you do. The the pine forest in Wisley is the most wonderful place to have hide-and-seek with a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old for hours and end. There's a great tea shop as well. And we can feel God restoring our soul as we walk. In creation, that's what Psalm 19 says. Behold the glory of the heavens. Behold the glory of the earth. Behold the glory of the mountains. That restores your soul. But where does Psalm 19 go then? To the Word of God that revives the soul. Every day, as we read God's Word, as we feed on God's Word, He restores, He revives our souls, He replenishes the tank. Let me encourage you, if you are a Christian and you are out of the habit of reading your Bible every day, read your Bible for this reason tonight in this psalm, that God might use the principal means that he has to restore your soul every day. And then verse 3b, Jesus guides me in paths of righteousness. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now we saw earlier that faith in Jesus Christ gives us the status of righteousness. He provides all that I need. Remember verse 2 all that I need is to be righteous before a holy God. And we get that through Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep that his righteousness might be mine and yours. But here, In the second part of verse 3, we are reminded that Jesus not only gives us that status of righteousness, but guides us in righteous living. Wisdom, for example, guidance to make the right decisions, to make the right choices in life, wisdom in the way that we live our lives, wisdom in the way that we speak and act. One writer describes it like this, when the Lord, who is my shepherd, guides me in paths of righteousness, it means that Lord Jesus guides us in the basic direction of our lives. And how does God guide us? Well, principally, in the same way as he restores our soul to the living Word of God. Blessed are those, Psalm 119, who walk according to the law of God. Blessed are those who walk in his ways. The word is a lamp to my feet and a lamp for my path. Let me inject a note of realism here. It is not all plain sailing, is it? The paths of righteousness and righteous living are narrow paths. It is so easy to slip. Think of a mountaineer walking along a ridge. Some of you might be into mountaineering. I advise strongly against it. I don't know how you could do it. I don't know how anyone can do anything for fun that makes them scared. People do. Sometimes the path you walk on when you are a hill walker or a mountaineer is wide and safe and easy, but at times the path is narrow and steep. It is not easy to stay on track, and oftentimes when we find ourselves on a narrow track with steep sides and the fog sets in, then we're probably on the path of righteousness. It's not easy. It's not always safe. Notice at the end of verse 3b, he guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does that mean? Well, that God guides us in paths of righteousness. God keeps us on that way of righteousness as individuals, as a church, For the sake of his name. For the sake of his glory. For his reputation. For his honor. For his esteem. For his pleasure. And that's embraced in these verses. For his name's sake. For the pleasure of God. He guides us in paths of righteousness. So, my friends, if your soul needs restored... Feed on the living Word of God. If if you feel you've lost your way on that path of life and want to get back onto the path of righteousness, read the Word of God. Live in the Word of God. Make it your habitat. And then verse 4, Jesus will be with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, they're powerful words, aren't they? Uh, Right? uh, There with me is Jesus. That's what it says, protecting and comforting through the dark valleys of life and through the darkest valley of all, the valley of the shadow of death. And the Christian has nothing to fear, not even death. This psalm says, for Jesus is with me, protecting me with his club. That's a better translation than rod and staff. What does a shepherd have to protect sheep in the ancient world from wolves? I think we have a you know, we have this image of the the shepherd leaning on his crew. He's got a club, kind of a cudgel, and, and the Lord's protection is strong. Now, I want to see see. I want you to see two things about the promise of verse four. Notice first the connection between verse four and verse three. He guides me in paths or ways of righteousness. Righteous living, the road of righteousness. And notice how verse 4 begins, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now the sense here, and it is even more emphatically expressed in the original Hebrew language, is that even when we walk through a dark valley, we are walking on the paths of righteousness. And that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have not slipped off the path of righteousness, for that darkest of valleys with that toughest of destinations will yield to a far better place, an eternity of righteousness with the Lord Jesus. For the Christian, every moment and every turning and every situation is a pilgrimage on that road to glory. The mountains and the valleys, the highs and the lows. In the deepest valley, the Christian for whom Jesus is their shepherd never reaches hopelessness. Some of you will uh, know uh, the story Anne of Green Gables. It might surprise you that I read books like that, but I, I don't like to do dangerous sports, and I don't like to read anything that's, that's kind of real and true. <laughs> Life is too harsh for... Doing it in your hobby time. Anne of Green Gables is a great book. Yeah? I encourage you to read it. I bet you all have. There's a character in it called Marilla, who's the kind of, I don't know, scary older woman who adopts this little girl who's lovely and kind. Some of them in this church like that. Little girl. He says it's hopeless. There's a wonderful bit in the book where Marilla turns to her and said, if you're a Christian, there is no such thing as hopelessness. Never, ever hopelessness. It's always hope. It's always hope in the darkest valleys. Never purposelessness. Always purpose. Never despair. Always hope. Now, in that theme, I want you to notice, secondly, something very moving and powerful that comes to the form and the language of the psalm. Notice how David refers to God as the psalm develops. Just, just look in your Bibles as to how he refers to God. In the first three verses, he refers to God as what? As the Lord. The Lord, He. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me. God is spoken of in, if you like, objective terms. The Lord. He. The Lord, He, as if the Lord or the shepherd is is kind of over there at the far side of the room or the far side of the field. The Lord, he. But notice the language changes in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... Notice the change. You. You are with me. And when does the language change from he to you? When does the psalmist no longer talking about his God but talking to his God? The answer is in the valley of the shadow of death. In the valleys, the troughs, the pits of life, and in the deepest and darkest valley of all, our consciousness, our awareness, our sense of the presence of God is closest and keenest and most intimate. Now, I guess comparing the dark valleys and the green pastures, the danger is that in the days of green pastures and quiet waters when life is sweet, when the grass is green, that we drift away from Jesus the shepherd, you know, you drift away and you find yourself on the far side of the field and the shepherd is he and him and over there and yet the dark valleys come and you look for the Lord and you discover he's right there and that's why you refer to him as you. You are with me. And I guess it's not our habitual default when we go through the dark valleys of life to run to the Good Shepherd, is it? But often he, always he comes to us. And when we turn, he's there. You are with me. Now on to verse 5, and just a brief comment on it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus is preparing a place for me at the heavenly banquet. The picture has suddenly changed. From dark to light. Notice the path of righteousness has not changed, but the picture has changed. Jesus is no longer the shepherd, but the host at the banquet. Verse 5 is where verses 1 to 3 and verse 4 in particular has been heading. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads his followers through life, through paths of righteousness, through the valley of the shadow of death, into glory, into eternal life. And Psalm 23, verse 5, speaks of that glorious inheritance that is kept for us. We are kept for it, shepherded through life, through death, and into glory. And that brings us finally to verse 6, which is a summary of the psalm. Surely, goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this uh, final verse divides between a description of this life and a description of eternity. The first part of verse 6, verse 6a, is a summary of verses 1 to 4. Surely goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's a summary of verses 1 to 4. The Lord Jesus, who gives me everything I need, who restores my soul, who guides me in paths of righteousness, even through the darkest valleys and even through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean in summary? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, the word follow is better translated as pursue. Follow might convey the sense of following at us at distance. Pursue means chipping at our heels, biting at our heels, snapping at our heels. Goodness and mercy are all around us as we travel through life. Now here's an old-fashioned sentimental way of explaining this, but I've yet to find a better and less old-fashioned or less sentimental way of explaining this. Shepherds have dogs called sheep dogs for you city people. The shepherd has two dogs called Grace and Mercy. And they take their orders from the shepherd and Grace and Mercy are right there. You know what a dog does or a, or a sheep dog does with a shepherd? It's in and out of their feet all the time. It's all around them. And goodness and mercy or Grace and Mercy are right there around you. As one old-fashioned writer says it but hits it With a nail on the head, you can almost feel their breath in your life. But they don't frighten you or hurt you. They protect you and guard you. The shepherd needs his sheepdogs to protect the sheep. Jesus has grace and mercy pursuing us in our lives for the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And the second half of verse 6 points us to eternity, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Repeats the point made in verse 5, emphasizing that the heavenly banquet in the house of the Lord is for eternity. The last word of the psalm is obscured by our English translations. The last word in the psalm is the Lord. The psalm literally ends, and I will dwell In his house forever, the Lord. How does the psalm begin? The Lord. How does the psalm end? The Lord. How does true life begin? With Jesus. How does life on this earth end? For eternity's safety in Jesus and with Jesus. You see, the psalm begins and ends with the Lord. Where is your security to be found for life and for death and for eternity? Not in the green pastures, not in the still waters, not in anything else other than Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. I quoted at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus' words in John ten fourteen: I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I wonder if you know Jesus as your shepherd? Many of us do. What if you do know Jesus as your shepherd? Let this psalm speak to your soul and say to you that you have everything you need because you have his righteousness. You stand as a child of God before God. You have within you by the Holy Spirit the word of God on your heart that restores your soul as you read it. You have within you the Holy Spirit. Who is at the control center of your life and directs you on paths of righteousness. They may be narrow. The cliff may be steep. The fog may be around you. But if you are on the paths of righteousness. Then you're safe. And you will go through dark valleys. You will. We do. And you will go through that darkest valley of all. And you will discover, and let me tell you, this is true, as I have walked with people through the darkest valley of all. I've seen somebody else walk with them through the darkest valley of all, and that is the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus in these darkest valleys is not he or him... He is you, you, Jesus, right there with you in remarkable ways. And the path of righteousness goes right through that valley. How? Because of verse 5, there is a heavenly banquet beyond. So if you know Jesus, if he is your good shepherd, you have all that you need for life. Maybe here you don't know Jesus as your good shepherd and you want to know him. Maybe you're not at the point yet when you have enough confidence in what you read or questions answered to know him. If that is you, then I encourage you to spend time with someone studying the Word of God that you might meet the living Christ and get to know him. Or maybe tonight at the end of another Sunday, maybe you've not been in church many times in your life, But you know enough about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done and how he has laid down his life that you want to trust him now. You want to believe in him. Well, as I pray, you join me in a prayer of turning and trusting in the Lord Jesus as your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you that you said your son to lay down his life that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be given his righteousness, that we might from that point live a life of righteousness in him. And have the confidence that as we walk through life with all its ups and downs, not least these darkest valleys, that he is with us. Not distant, but right there with us. And that for those who believe in Jesus, there is everlasting life in a new creation. Help us, Lord, if we are Christians to trust in Jesus as our shepherd. And Lord, if we're not yet a Christian, as we look at Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us on the cross, help us, Lord, by your grace and mercy to lay hold of Jesus for our salvation. And if we're not yet ready to do that, we pray that we would keep coming and keep listening and keep learning about who this wonderful man Jesus is. For there is no one like him. There is no one to be trusted more than him. And there is no one who is able to do what he can do for us in life and in death and in eternity. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. May that be true of every one of us in this room. We pray in his name and for his sake.